0: Hi, this is Graham Brown and welcome to the XL Podcast. The XL Podcast is a platform for the bigger conversations about leadership in the 2020s. Who's leading? How are they leading? And what stories do they have to share? Through the stories of leaders, we'll address the big challenges of our times from the era of AI to the Asian century to nurturing a new generation of entrepreneurs. If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe to the podcast at xlpodcast.org. Hi, everybody. My next guest on the XL podcast was described as one of UK's most influential women in tech. She's kind of a lady who is happy, thrives in an environment where there are no established playbooks. You give her a new space to play in and she'll write that playbook for you. Now, she set up one of the UK's first digital agencies. I'm not talking about in the last 10 years, I'm talking about in the mid-90s. You know, this is a very different era of digital. We're talking about Windows 95, and she grew that business from zero to 10 million plus in sales. She's the kind of woman that is happy to be a pioneer. She studied AI in the, the mid-80s before, long before it was cool or even thought useful in many aspects and she was awarded an OBE, Order of the British Empire by Her Majesty the Queen for her support of UK exports to Asia. I think you'll find from this conversation with our next guest that interesting and inspiring are understatements for her story. And she joins us all the way from the Caribbean, from Barbados, where she joins us on a new chapter on this adventure called life. And for that, I'd like to maybe we can preface this conversation with a quote from Harley Davidson, if that's fitting, that when writing the story of your life, don't let anybody else hold the pen. My next guest on the XL podcast is none other than Margaret Manning, CEO of Digital Conversations. Everybody, welcome back to the XL podcast. My name is Graham Brown, where we showcase leaders in their different forms, stripes, people changing the world for the better, business, technology, and society. I'm joined today by a lady who, for the longest time I've been wanting to do this, find out a bit more about her story. I've known her for off and on through the network, through mutual business contact for a number of years, and we've bumped into each other at business events, We've exchanged chit-chat, but we really haven't got down to this level and find out about her because I think the thing about our guest today is she's very understated in her own words. Unless you really do your background research on her, she won't tell you about all the things that she's done in her career. She's very, you know, what's the word? Not humble. But she's not out there, a big salesperson of her own story. So I think today, really, we can kind of unearth a bit of that and dive deeper. So without much further ado, welcome to the show, Margaret Manning.
1: Well, thank you very much, Graham. And uh, yes, that's not quite so toe-curling as sometimes uh, things I get.
0: (laughs) Well, we haven't done the accolades yet, Margaret. Oh, no. (laughs) Should we do that? I think, you know, this is the thing about... Uh, obviously, the first time I met you, I think was at a, a business event on um, at the British Chamber of Commerce, and uh, you know you, you're, you're sort of you come across as very down to earth, um, very authentic, and yet if you then go and corroborate that with your CV, your resume online, you find somebody who's got all these titles, and let's run through a few, some of those, if we may, Margaret. Uh,
1: if you have to, Graham, continue. All right,
0: then let's do this. Okay, so I'm going to read them out. And you may have forgotten some of these. So, was named one of Britain's most successful online entrepreneurs, one of the most inspiring business women in Asia Pacific by... Argyle Scott, Hong Kong. You won three Gold Stevie Awards. We're only just getting started here. Voted UK Female Entrepreneur of the Year for the Fast Growth Business Awards. Named one of the top 50 media people to watch in the Courvoisier Future 500 in The Observer. Winner in the Science and Technology Lloyd's TSB First Woman Awards. Highly commended in the Credit Suisse National Business Awards. Entrepreneur of the Year. Former Woman of Achievement Ambassador Lloyd's TSB. Featured in Real Business Reports on Britain's 100 Most Entrepreneurial Women. You served as the former chair of the UK ASEAN Business Council, and you were awarded an OBE, Order of the British Empire, by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. When you hear all that read back to you, thinking about (laughs) the young woman that started out on your career, how does it all sound now? (laughs)
1: It just is still mind-blowing, completely mind-blowing. Though the thing that I look back on with most uh, feeling of achievement is once when we took our team away and it was our 10th year anniversary of the uh, reading room business and we took the team away to Barcelona and we were on a train uh, going going to the airport and just looking back and seeing that team, and knowing that, that we'd had a positive influence on many people who have now gone off and are running incredible businesses of their own, that was what's made me feel most mm. proud, quite frankly. How many
0: people were back then in that train? I think
1: on, on that train, there were about 100 people.
0: 100 people. They're all your people.
1: Yeah, after, ten, after 10 years, actually going to Barcelona, um, I wouldn't say all my people, it, it, it really was a team. And I hope, mm. hopefully that concept of team uh, and community, actually, it goes beyond team to community. Mm. Um, building a business was exciting because of that community.
0: Was it something that you always had in you? If we go back to teenage Margaret Manning, what were you like?
1: Oh, pain in the neck!
0: A bit of a troublemaker. <laughs>
1: Always. I was. I,
0: <laughs> I'm glad it worked would, out well. It could have gone either way.
1: It probably could. Yes, I was. I was never really um, a corporate person. Um, mm. I, I probably was the, the the most difficult person to educate at school. Um, all my essays came in, either didn't come in, or, or came in a minute a minute before deadlines. All the way through. Uh, I don't know. my my father ran a business and i think the thing that maybe um if you look back on it was uh, might have been an indicator was i was extremely competitive at sports Mm. and actually i got my first job at price waterhouse way back in the day uh, because they were looking for people that had played competitive sport at county or international level
0: what did you do uh,
1: I was a swimmer, um, cross country runner, and uh, triathlete.
0: Oh right! Wow, even back in the eighties, when uh, triathlon wasn't yes. cool.
1: Um, and the, the, I suppose again going back to the to the things that might have stood out in my life, my first weight bar. I had my first weight bar at nine years old, oh. and. <laughs> And of course, as a nine-year-old girl with a weight bar, yeah. you could beat you could beat the boys into smithereens. The first time you could time arm a, wrestle them. Oh, the yeah. first time a guy—I was just going to bring that up. Actually, the first time—and I remember this very vividly—that a guy ever beat me at arm wrestling. I was sixteen.
0: Were you challenging them? when you say ever beat me? It was like oh, you were actually of
1: actively out
0: there challenging the boys.
1: Of course. Well, it wasn't really much of a challenge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How awesome is that? I'm a. Um, I'm a bit of a latecomer to triathlon, Ironman as well, but I know back in the 80s before it really blew up, I, can't, I didn't even know there were women doing it back then. There were guys who were doing it in speedos and it wasn't yeah. really the kind of scene that uh, it is now.
1: I, I was um, a swimmer and uh, obviously a cross country, country runner, so biathlon was a thing. And hmm. when triathlon first started, it was um, running, swimming and shooting. <laughs> that was my first first triathlon at Crystal Palace, running, swimming, and shooting. Shooting, but yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, That's like
0: it was just a strange mix.
1: Well, it was it was the shortened form of a, pent- a pentathlon.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So that was that was my original triathlon. But if you it- you know you, you're asking about business, so maybe mm. looking back on it, it was that kind of two two elements to that. One is obviously competitive. Um, spirit, hmm. uh, but the other was uh, the recognition that things are possible,
0: hmm. and um, you my, seem to my thrive sin- in that sort of unknown, don't you?
1: Um, it's it's knowing that something is 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 a possibility that other people will say, no, that you can't do that. It's, it's not possible. So I remember my father, my, my sister actually went on to become a world champion pentathlete. Hmm. And uh, my father f- forgot to video her, a uh, very old video player. She was on grandstand uh, back in the day. And he forgot to video it. So he just rang up the BBC and asked them to repeat it.
0: <laughs> <And>
1: it <laughs> And that's always stuck with me, yes. You know, nobody would think of even doing that. He was ahead
0: of his time, of course. He could do that now (laughs) Yeah, on YouTube, right?
1: Yep, Uh, yep, but not in those days, so they repeated it.
0: Well, there seems to be this theme, and we'll get to it, that you have that pioneering spirit. You seem to thrive on the challenge of being in this space where there are no rules, no playbooks, And you may be the first to really plow a furrow in that space. And that's really reflected in your business career. We'll talk about the reading room, you know, growing the business to well over 10 million in sales, the exit, growing the business to, you know, sizable headcount plus across different countries. Um, And you say yourself, you, you weren't a traditional corporate. So before we go there, what was it like? getting an OBE from the Queen, not being an establishment person. What was that like? Did you feel a bit of an imposter in that scenario?
1: Well, of course. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And probably still do. But A, it was, well, firstly, it was an amazing honor. Um, And the honor was uh, my mother and father were there to watch. Mm. And that was what was just Did they video it? (laughs) <laughs> totally incredible. No, no, you can't. But but you do get the video afterwards. But it was it was just an incredible experience. Uh, but the experience was, it's not just a single thing, a single point. The team in uh, Singapore when th- this was announced, when it was announced that I was going to get an OBE, um, it took it took the Mickey out of me. Something terrible. Mm. Uh, but that was even more fun, I think, it, it just having that, um, that t- again, the team spirit, the community, everybody participated, everybody contributed to that. It, it, mm. was, it was an award, not just for me, but for the team.
0: Yeah, you are very humble in accepting these accolades as well. I know it's a team spirit and a team achievement very much so, but without you, it wouldn't have happened. So I think, you know, there's a key player in that team as well. You know something interesting you and i studied the same subject at university artificial intelligence and cognitive psychology but i did it a a decade after you when i thought i was a pioneer (laughs) when i studied ai nobody had heard of it so i don't know what that was like in the 80s studying ai and cognitive psychology how did you even get into that how did you even know that that was a thing to do
1: uh, I was extremely lucky and I found a, a fantastic professor who would just been made a professor very very into uh, computers and computer technology and I was also very lucky in that I failed my uh, biology exams so many times that I got bored of them completely trashed it and started again by uh, learning computer science so it was it was in the days when there was one computer on the campus yeah oh yeah in the you days of Fortran Fort, Fort and punch cards, yes. Roger. I loved it.
0: Punch cards? That's like an old punch Bill cards. Gates story, isn't uh, it? You I, know, well the... yes,
1: I, I am that old, yes. Please continue to rub it in, Graham. <laughs> but but I, punch I
0: cards, the, the original <laughs> stack. Oh, that. Were you how I'm... many women were on your course? Don't be silly. <laughs> just one.
1: Just one, yes.
0: No, just, did you feel out of place with being the only woman there?
1: Um, again going back to sport uh, I've always been used to being one one of the only women or mm. the only woman in the room and uh, luckily uh, I've got used to that because frankly Graham that was many many moons ago mm. but it, it still happens. I was at a talk in Barbados um, talking about crypto uh, mm. and I was the only woman on the panel again uh, so Although we would like to think things have changed. Hmm. They haven't changed anywhere near as much as people think they have.
0: Well, we'll come to that. There's a big part of helping companies, organizations, government even, promote diversity and inclusion within their organizations, because it's not as simple as saying, get more women in. A lot of it is the the subtle side comments you've probably been receiving since you were a teenager about being a woman in a man's world they won't say it to you directly but i'm sure there's the nudges isn't it that put women off and sort of guide them towards maybe second place whereas you seem to be a bit more annealed to that you seem to almost if somebody nudges you in that direction you want to prove them wrong and make it work as a woman in a man's world
1: i I wish that was the case but i remember i recall another uh, instance that pushed me very much into being an entrepreneur. I had a very good friend from uh, Pricewaterhouse, and we both ended up uh, working for a bank. And there were two of us looking to be promoted. Um, There was a position open, and he came to me, and he said to me, Margaret, um, you're a friend, so I'm going to tell you this. I am going to do absolutely anything to get that position and if that means uh, stumping on, on you or, or what you do, I'm going to do it.
0: Hmm.
1: And bless him, he told me. Um, I left. There was no point. I don't enjoy that type of political backstabbing or the political maneuverings uh, that women do have to go through. And they suffer that, I believe, in the corporate environment much, much more than you would do in an entrepreneurial world.
0: At that point, did you then make the decision to start your own business based on the fact you couldn't see the road ahead as a woman in the corporate world?
1: Uh, Frankly, Graham, at that point, I gave up. It was too easy to, it was too hard to battle it. Hmm. You had, there were too many battles. Um, and having a second, knowing that you were not fulfilling your potential hurt. I can only hmm. put it like that. It it hurt. Um, knowing that you could offer more to a business, not being able to be put into that position, Uh, I went through another uh, situation of being very badly bullied at work. Um, You know, get back into your into your rightful place uh, type of scenario, and Mm. I gave I gave up.
0: Didn't Uh, the um, inner triathlete want to fight that, or the inner arm wrestler, or was it just too big a challenge to take on at that time?
1: You can't you can't change the corporate world alone it's not possible. You just can't. And I'm not uh, the type of person that can sit there just chipping away and making no difference or very little difference whatsoever. Hmm. And that was back in the 80s. And I would say that's exactly the same in today's corporate world.
0: Yeah. And even in some places, I guess, like in small pockets of blockchain, it sounds as well that there may not Um, be...
1: It's a different sort of scenario. There are some situations where it is up to you uh, and your ability to um, make a success. And there are some situations where it's up to your maybe your willingness to play somebody else's game, mm, so to true. play those politics um, in order to make, make a success. And I admire the women that take the alternative route. I could not do it. And I hands held up, I couldn't do it do it. It must have been not
0: a blow to you then, that. surely. You, you yes. realize realising you couldn't actually do something. For all your oh, life you probably had never had that problem.
1: <laughs> um, not not quite exactly. I think there's always a, a, a case of not looking back with regret. There was a point in time, again, a pivotal moment in my life where my younger sister um, beat me at uh, in swimming. <laughs> <laughs> the pain. She, she, she trashed me, absolutely trashed me. And uh, it was a pivotal moment for me in terms of my sporting career because at that point I recognized two things. Um, one, I was going to stop. And second, I was going to stop for the right reasons, which was I didn't want... That success enough. I wasn't prepared to put in the mm. time and the effort uh, to continue to 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 be what she became, which was a world champion. Um, and she put in, I mean, five, six, seven years of her life mm. um, to to make that great. I then went on and um, um, did the same thing, but in business, I was prepared to put in that effort when I started the business. But I I can make those, I was comfortable and still am comfortable with looking back and saying, I don't regret the decision that I, I, I gave up sport at that kind of competitive level. Mm. I preferred to give up sport at a competitive level rather than play competitive sport at a mediocre level. That was a choice I made.
0: Yeah, I, I can understand the driver in it. What interests me, Margaret, is when you chose the route as business to be the one that you wanted to take on and become a champion in, if you like, because you weren't, you didn't have any entrepreneurial experience. I know you mentioned your father, for example, and also you were a woman and there weren't a lot of women entrepreneurs back then, or it certainly would have been harder. What was that like? Why did you, why did you then say, right, I'm going to start or. My own business, and I'm going to build my own community, if you like, on my own terms. What was the, what are the thought patterns there?
1: <laughs> there are certain moments where it, it, it is just the right thing to do. It's hard to go back and kind of un, unpack all the different motivators, all the different drivers. It, it, it was. It came at the right point in time. Of. My life, where I was looking for a, a challenge, I was bored. Um, had I was working for a lovely, a lovely business. I was, um, kind of acting FD in a, in a lovely business with a great team, but I was bored and I was actually sitting at my desk. I am a recovering accountant, as I think people have, have mm-hmm. kind of heard. Um, I was sitting at my desk and I was looking for tax advice. I always found technology extremely sexy, and that's the word I use for it. I find mm, technology a very, very, to use. very sexy. Um, so I was into the internet very, very early on, and I was looking for tax advice on the internet, and it wasn't there. There was nothing. And it was just that kind of light bulb moment. Somebody needs to be actually doing something with this internet thing uh, that that is not purely design nor purely technology but in fact is business driven and that's how the that's how the business started
0: what year was this
1: that was 95 96 95, 95
0: 96 so we're talking yeah. AOL CDs in the post netscape navigator <laughs> oh.
1: Oh yes all of those things that was probably yes. cutting
0: edge technology then. <laughs> it
1: was. Yes we used to we used to actually pass CDs to one another across the room. That was uh, <laughs> that was totally our network.
0: Re-rolled. But what was that like when you say I mean if you are starting a business in 95 an internet business specifically did you say this was going to be an internet business or Yes. Okay yes. so that that was even more extreme because such things didn't exist then really.
1: Uh, there, there were uh, there were a few around but the majority of them were either marketing businesses or technology businesses. What we wanted to do was something completely different which is actually create a digital um, business that looks specifically at solving business problems mm. and it, it was totally different and frankly there aren't a that that, that still is an unusual route to follow. Uh, most digital businesses either come from marketing or technology backgrounds. We came from more of a consultancy background. Um, we didn't have any marketing experience uh, in house. We didn't. We didn't know how to run a digital advertising business. So we ran what we, we what I was uh, comfortable with, which was a digital consultancy. What's your business problem? How can we resolve it hmm. using digital technologies?
0: What do people think when you gave them your pitch? That business in the early days. Do they think you are (laughs) mad? But that's Margaret. Or did did you have people say, "Yeah, that's a great idea"?
1: Um, there were some people uh, that that thought it was a great idea, and some of those are friends to this day. Some of my clients are friends to this day who just got it. Uh, In general, people obviously didn't understand this thing. It was Hmm. it created an enormous amount of fear. Um, everybody who we talked to wanted a spinning globe, um, and that was it. Can I have a spinning globe? No, you can't. Uh, you can on, the I web have, page? on the web page, yes. Can, can I have this thing called Flash and everything moving around? No, you can't. <laughs> so um, it was it was a, 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 such a challenge that we recognised that people didn't know how to approach it. So what we did was we created uh, what we called packages. Something that was easy to understand. Mm. Here you, you are, you can have this, or you can have this, or you can have this. Um, so we gave it to them in kind of small baby bites.
0: Was this in web design?
1: Uh, what, it's, what we were trying to do was to create, as I said, a, a way of solving business problems. So, for example, one of our early clients was a law firm. Yes, of course, you could have a website. A website mm-hmm. isn't the easy option. What we did is we created an extranet because their biggest business problem was actually recruitment. So we created a, a recruitment extranet for them. So a website is um, is still generally uh, just a, a brochure front end. Mm-hmm. What we were creating were the business applications that sat behind a website that actually drive business profitability in whatever way or manner it, it, it works for that particular business.
0: But you must have been pretty thick-skinned, Margaret, because knocking on doors back then, and even pitching these ideas to people, I can't imagine the kind of rejections you would have got, or the, the, those conversations God. just flying, the glazed eyes you must have got. I mean, <laughs> now, still, it's hard, but what was it? How did you... I, I'm just lost for words. I can't imagine what it was like back in 95, 96, you know,
1: you got um, you got very used to answering the question, uh, but the internet's going to go away, isn't it? <laughs> so, but and actually, no. People were were, were generally extremely interested. Mm. There was more. Um, it was more that they were. There was obviously a lack of knowledge, and there was a, a degree of fear. But as soon as they thought saw that we were trying to help. And work with them rather than try and bamboozle people with three-letter acronyms, and and that was part, very much part of our strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were far fewer of those rejections than than, than you might think. Of course, there were some, uh, but in fact, most of them were quite amusing. So <laughs> it was it was just kind of that pioneering age. It was just enormous fun. Hmm. And there were—it uh, was a very small community of people that were involved. Uh, we all got together. We—we we didn't see the other digital agencies as competitors. We saw them as friends. There were far. There was far too much work for chasing far too few experts.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and I'm really, really glad to to have been part of that very early. Well, you, days. you helped
0: build it as well. I think that's an important part of it. They weren't just part of it.
1: Yes, uh, I suppose uh, the, the early stage businesses or the early stage agencies were very much part of creating uh, a, a new way of working. Mm. And yes, it was great fun. And um, the, 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 the tech part of me, the process driven part of me uh, was creating um, processes. We created an agile way of working long before Scrum ever uh, entered the arena what was that? So we were, we were just get? creating a very agile um, way of combining business, technology, design and creativity, uh, which I still think is is, is pretty novel um, in the digital world, uh, in order to make clients happy, comfortable. In mm. this world where clients are very scared or fearful, uh, we had developed so many applications. It was the only one that they had developed. So we were trying to create a process that enabled us to help them get to the outcome that they wanted rather than, um, launch something dadum. That, oh, that's not what I was actually after. Uh, so it was, um, th- that was actually really great fun actually creating, uh, different ways of working hmm. and, combining those two polar opposites, the marketing department and the technical department, um, who often find the the bridge difficult to cross.
0: But I don't think you believe in departments, do you? Certainly not in your team.
1: I don't, but with our clients, they had departments and we had to interpret between those two, which was, again, enormous fun.
0: I was reading about how you hired people and you mentioned something about, for example, your, your unorthodox hiring procedures in the sense that you would hire people based on not necessarily their experience or their, let's say, CV more than experience. You would pick teachers and architects and people who just kind of had the right mindset as opposed to people who were digitally trained. How did that work out? That must have been challenge because i imagine they, you know it's a bit of a you know shuffle the pack to see what falls out see what kind of people you get well i mean imagine if you're growing a team to 100 and you talk a lot about community and the, the environment and the culture your hiring procedures would have been a big part of this tell us about that how did it work out
1: hiring uh, hiring was a lot more difficult than than um uh Than gaining clients, that's for sure. And I think this is something that I've learnt, and I wish I could go back and uh, kind of reteach my my uh, my very young entrepreneurial self is how to how to find the right recruits. I find it still quite amazing that the way that we hired uh, is is kind of was then and and still is called unorthodox um, hiring based on the ability to learn and the right uh, community fit doesn't seem to me to be unorthodox. It seems to me to be common sense. And yet, even today, if you go to a recruitment agency, they will say, how many years of experience do you Mm. need somebody to have in a technology that probably isn't going to be uh, there tomorrow? It seems to me to be much, much more logical to try and find out how how people learn, what what their appetite is for learning, uh, what their appetite is to be involved in an industry that is going through enormous change very quickly. Some people really enjoy that um kind of roller coaster ride, the uncertainties, and some people hate it. And I l- learnt over the years that there are various techniques that you can use um and there isn't one size fits fits all but there are various recruitment techniques that you can use in order to find somebodys uh wish for to work in an, a, a business that is a roller coaster ride compared to those that would really prefer to work in a corporate environment
0: hmm. um, is that a simple so, question you can ask them or is it a test
1: oh no, it's not a simple question. <laughs> and obviously, it, it, it's really not one size fits all, which is why I, having studied uh, psychology, I'm very, very wary of, of just spouting the words personality test. Hmm. Uh, I dislike personality testing. I dislike labeling people. Um, I think labeling theory is very, very destructive. Hmm. and to come away from that and just see a person for their ability can sometimes be hard for people and it, it, it is that what is your ability and your ability in a particular part of the business not at your ability per se so yes it, it's a harder way to recruit but as soon as you start re- looking at the world in that way you can find some absolutely incredible people
0: yeah, we see a lot now of corporates talking about diversity, inclusion. And these are good conversations to have. We're definitely moving in the right direction, aren't we? We're not there yet, but we're definitely shifting focus. And I think one of the real upsides now is there's a lot more acceptance about people for who they are and what skills they can bring to the team. There's still a long way to go, isn't there? Where, you spend a lot of time working with corporates, and advising them on agile cultures, inclusion. What's your take on, if you could give us a a finger on the pulse of where we are in the corporate world with acceptance of brilliant people, like you say, amazing people. Do we still have a lot of work to do?
1: As, as you said that, I could feel this kind of um, almost anger welling up, maybe, maybe this, this emotion certainly welling up. Mm. Um, just one week ago, I was lucky enough to meet uh, the head, the global head of one of the very large consultancy businesses. I would love to be able to give you its name but I won't. Um, I, I just met this guy. We were sitting there having a you know, glass of wine. And he started talking, oh, it just came up, you know, about, oh, what do you do? I've done this. Wow, that's amazing. Women in business, ta-da-da. And the condescension that started pouring out of his mouth was, abs- I, c- I can only use the word disgusting. It was so condescending that I'm afraid I got up and I walked away. No way. Um, I did then take a walk around the block and, and, and come back. But it's it's just corporate speak. The majority of it doesn't go further than corporate speak. There's no recognition that we're hiring people for their ability it has to be, we have a diversity and inclusion agenda. Well, I'm mm. sorry, if you were hiring people for their ability, you wouldn't need a diversity and inclusion agenda. You would just simply be hiring them for their ability. But you can't do that. So you have to whitewash the world and say, oh, we're into diversity and inclusion. Well, frankly, our business was never into diversity and inclusion. It didn't need to be. Thank you.
0: Uh, absolutely right Margaret what can I say I think you should have arm wrestled him and settled it there and then I think that would have dealt with
1: it uh, yes I I, I I, actually I was I just couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it, it, it y- you you could have put a journalist in, in front of him and the journalist probably would have just nodded but mm. it it wasn't, it wasn't right. It was kind But was it done in a very nonsense. overt
0: way or was it the sort of the subtle digs? Because I mean, I'm curious about how these conversations, you know, I'm not a woman, so I'm never at this kind of receiving end of these nudges, if it, you like.
1: It, it wasn't, it wasn't the digs. It was that, it was the kind of comment that, oh, women are really good in some positions.
0: Some positions.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would hate to. Let's not go any further down that particular line. In in some jobs, Um, it 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 was it it was his utter belief that he was doing the right thing.
0: Hmm. It
1: wasn't. It wasn't a a a dig. It was more like some of my very best friends are women. Kind of. um, um, uh,
0: But I can understand why that presses your buttons. given what you've done as well, you know, you, what you've achieved. It really, I think one of the problems as well though, Margaret, is role models and stories. I mean, the media plays a big part in this and promoting and propagating narratives, doesn't it? About what a successful business person looks like, what they sound like, how they talk, how they behave. And it's unusual to see women in that mix. Often we see men, not, not necessarily because there aren't any, but because of what the media portrays as well. And it's like your stories don't get prominence.
1: Um, th- that is, is in actual fact extremely true. The media makes obviously makes the news. it doesn't report the news. That was a, that was a thesis I did at university. Um, role models for women, yes, it, it, absolutely they are vital. Uh, but I also think if you look at the world of, of work, it's not just the very successful people that need to, to be known about. It's the, it's the, it's, if you make, if you make it role models all about women who succeeded incredibly, mm. it will make everybody else feel inadequate and not actually take that journey. So there are very many uh, men running businesses or people running businesses that are just running a very good business. It doesn't all have to be about wanting to be Bill Gates. Mm. It's about just being accepted as a a woman um, who is running a business. Again, going back to my former life, I was lived in a small village. Um, I was, at the time, reasonably successful uh, in my corporate world. I had a very nice car, um, nice sports BMW. I should, probably shouldn't say
0: that. <laughs> That's not a very ladylike <laughs> thing to drive, Margaret. It, I know, so well, you probably it, liked hearing that, didn't you? It,
1: exactly. And I was um, I, I in that village where... At thirty-five, all the women basically there there was this thing, you were starting to get old. Um it, it was unheard of and it was not liked. Um I had to leave. It was as simple as that. I was I stuck out like a sore thumb in that, that kind of scenario. Um and it's it, it, so it's not just the role models of a woman who's got all sorts mm. of accolades it's just the acceptance that women can be in business full stop and i actually it's one of the reasons i don't use the accolades very much and i think there should be much more um notice taken of women that are just running businesses not necessarily women that are, are going to form the next twitter
0: yeah uh, here, here i totally agree on that it's it's almost like the it's like you say it's disempowering, isn't it? Because it makes celebrities out of these people. Yes. In the same way, like we look at actors and actresses and look at our humble mortal bodies and think we're not not as glamorous as those guys. It's the same way with business entrepreneurs, isn't it? That I, you don't I have get, to be a billionaire to be accepted and to be good at what you do. I
1: get very frustrated with some of the panels that that are actually you, you see. Uh, about women women and women in business and women entrepreneurs and they are full of those celebrities hmm. and there they should be much more notice taken of, of women running businesses the problems that women have running businesses and it's i'm, I'm using women I, i'm i'm very very pro uh, people having just having the ability to run their own business and knowing what that entails of uh, entrepreneurs at the moment people think of an entrepreneur as somebody that's going to get angel investment a round b round and it's really very much um (laughs) this is the size of my whatever um and it's not it's actually not very helpful the majority of economic activity is undertaken by small business and that's what we should be promoting the unsung heroes the People with their sandwich vans, the mm. the guys that, that are actually getting up and doing something. And that's the entrepreneurial spirit, not just those that are celebrity and have made their millions.
0: Well, I think it's people like yourself, Margaret, who live life on their own terms and write their own story of success, that's- which I think... That's a
1: very, very good way of, of putting it. And that's those are the celebrities and that's what we should mm-hmm. be. That's what we should be honoring.
0: Because it could be the guy in the sandwich van. If he's happy yes. doing that, of course, then he's a success. It's not he's happy because he's a success. He's a success because he's happy. So yes. We need to kind of examine that a little bit. But that, that takes these kind of more existential conversations, which... You know, when you're in the machine, you don't have time to think about these things. You're thinking about becoming a partner and you're thinking about your promotion and stamping on the guy to get ahead, like you say. There's there's so many things I want to ask you, but I'm conscious of the time. So there's just a few questions I want to round up with because I'm sure the listeners are very curious. I want to ask you about life in Barbados as well, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but before we get talking about living life on your own terms, the grind in Barbados, I'm sure... Just as you're about to head out to the beach.
1: Desperately hard, desperately hard. I'm really curious, like we
0: haven't talked about it and we don't need to go in too much depth, but I think it's a defining moment in every entrepreneur's career is that it's not a necessary moment, but if they were to build a business and sell that business, their feelings associated with the sale of the business, how was it for you when you knew the deal was going ahead? did that leave you with a sense of joy? Was it sort of mixed feelings? What was going well, I, on?
1: As my husband did to break his leg in two places um, on the day, two days before the sale went through.
0: That was <laughs> ominous. <laughs> yes.
1: It was uh, celebrating the sale. Um, actually, at his hospital bed uh, when he had his titanium plates put in with um, half a glass of red wine in a, in a, in a tooth <laughs> t- mug. <laughs> I like to picture
0: the scene. You imagine this oh. is living the dream, how it is all going to work out.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Yes. That was definitely living the dream. Um, I've, got, I've got a photograph of that on my wall. It was hilarious. Um, not quite so hilarious for him, but it's been, it, it, it's, it's something that everybody says, you know, what are you going to do next, blah, 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 until you until you actually have sold the business and you're sitting there and you're looking at mm. a blank piece of paper thinking, oh, my goodness. Um, and then, of course, w- with the, oh, my goodness, blank bit of paper, the, the pandemic comes along, um, which is we, my husband and I heard about this uh, digital nomad visa that Barbados is offering. So for you can get a 12-month visa to come to Barbados and uh, work remotely. Uh, There are approximately 10,000 people on this island or have been um, coming through either working for three months, six months, or taking the digital nomad visa. Um, And it's been really interesting to be part of that community because Mm. you're a self-selecting group of uh, risk-taking entrepreneurs. So imagine having 10,000 of those around. It's very wonderful. strange. Yes, And it the is. beach it as well is. and the weather. Um, I'm not going to start talking about the, the, the beach, the blue sky, the blue seas and the rum punches, because that would be mean. Um, but, uh, you like- like- but
0: you did, you know, I mean, you <laughs> grinded it out, ground it out for years in the UK. So we know what the alternative was like, where you came from. But Margaret, I, I'm like, you know, you, you're you in Barbados at the moment. What, what I'm really like inspired by your story is that you don't give up. <laughs> There's no off switch here. Right. And I think in a very positive way, it's not like you're even in Barbados, you're going to blockchain meetings. You're still out there actively involved in the community. You, you very much are living an adventure, like you're not necessarily having a grand plan for the whole thing. It's just like, you're enjoying the moment and just enjoying what you're doing. And it seems like you've been doing this since you were way back in the competitive sports days. You're still thriving on the challenge.
1: Well, what I have found uh, is that I'm now playing um, an online game. And the online game is, uh, has, a, it's a guild game, an alliance game. And um, I'm now leader of the alliance. And Which one is it? <laughs>
0: So I'm not telling. I'm no, not no, telling. No, I'm, not,
1: I'm not going to, I'm not going to be doxed. <laughs> I'm not, you're not going to dox me. Um, anyway, I'm leader of this alliance with over, over a hundred people in the whole alliance playing internationally from Russia, Japan, Australia, America, obviously UK. And it's just realized it, that what I actually enjoy is that community feeling all mm. pe- a group of people actually working together and also i've realized that uh, that is addictive it's incredibly addictive which is how the game gaming industry uses that kind of addiction of wanting to feel part of a community and wanting to work in a community it's it's crazy that the business uh, world doesn't see it quite like that um but a plug for my uh for, 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 for my next venture i tell us i'm, I'm, I'm been seeing that with Barbados and countries like Barbados, tourism can actually be extremely damaging. So if we're looking for a more sustainable future, um, actually matching the needs of a country up to uh, the things that tourism, tourists want, and then matching that back to the fact that many of us actually want to give back. Um, I'm looking at creating a social enterprise on on Barbados that puts the heart back into tourism, that matches uh, the, the entrepreneurial, the nomad spirit with the horrendous unemployment that we see in, in, in many countries of the world, where the talent leaves, has to leave, because there is no future for that talent. Well, let's help that talent um, to prosper mm. in the country that the talent actually arises.
0: Are you up and running with that venture? Is it in the No, pipeline? it's
1: it, it's it's very very new. I've uh, I've now got my partner sorted and setting up a business. I will be actually um, setting that business up uh, within the next seven days. How does it
0: feel to be starting another business?
1: Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with my online game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the existential challenges of oh, being an entrepreneur.
1: It's going to be back to 24 hours work, uh, uh, 27 days a week, 365 days a year. No, it's always 364 days a year because uh, Christmas Day was off.
0: You love it though. You are an inspiration. The energy is never letting up. And I'm really interested in this new venture as well. And whatever, I mean, wherever your adventure takes you, I feel that it's always going to be full of surprises. And I love the fact you're this new venture that you're starting out as well. You don't come from the world of travel and tourism. (laughs) It seems to be perfect for you. You love that, that there's no playbook that you have inherited. You're just going to write it now, right?
1: Um, It it seems to be obvious that tourism has got to change. Business leisure has got to change. The Mm. nomad community uh, is, is showing the way Uh, the future of work. It is the future of work.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Work's not a place.
1: Work's not a place anymore, and work can happen anywhere. And if work is happening in new places, there has to be a new way of doing it that actually associates work with a a culture in which you are working. With that in
0: mind, signing off, advice for the younger entrepreneurs, change makers. They don't have to be entrepreneurs. They can be troublemakers like yourself, starting out on the, the path. I know, I'm sure, if you actually were to sit down and give your... Younger Margaret advice, younger Margaret probably wouldn't listen, probably go off and do something else anyway. So let's forget that. But for the other listeners who are starting out or on that journey, knowing what you know now in that journey of pursuing your dreams, literally, and making changes, following a path, which is, I suppose it's the road less taken, isn't it? You know, What advice would you offer to them? And especially when they may be surrounded by people who may have doubts, maybe sort of nudging them towards second place or wherever it is, maybe a more mediocre existence.
1: Mm, uh, the, the thing that rings in my head constantly is, is the phrase, don't look back with regret. Um, because there's not one road for all of us. And it's recognizing that your road is going to be might be very, very, very different to those that the, 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 the people that are perceived as inspirational. Don't look back with regret and find your partner in crime if you possibly can. It it can be anybody that can mentor you, that can help you. Um find a business mentor. Find a mentor of, of some sort. We we go to the gym. We, we hire private trainers. We go to the gym. We listen to private trainers. We listen to people. We don't mind being taught to swim. We don't mind being taught to, uh, to sing. Yet we do seem to find it very hard just to reach out and say, hey, I've got this idea. Can you help me? Now, anybody would feel really happy if that somebody reached out and asked that of them Mm. it's a compliment find your partner in crime find somebody that can give you some advice if you're thinking about taking a different route in life and it's not just about being an entrepreneur it can just be about taking a different avenue to the avenue where you feel stuck
0: currently Mm. absolutely It's, it's great advice margaret and i'm sure there may be people who are listening who are inspired by your story, who probably want to contact you in different forms, whether it's just to give you feedback or tell them about their journeys as well. Where's the best way that people can get hold of you, contact you?
1: Through LinkedIn is probably the easiest uh, way. Um, so if, if you contact me on, on LinkedIn, it's Margaret Manning, OBE, LinkedIn. There are You'll two Margaret you. Mannings on, on online, by the way. Um,
0: I found <laughs> so. the other one. Surprised. Yes, I, 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 You're I know. We're, we're, You're a doppelganger. We're,
1: we're, it is a doppelganger. I, 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 we talk. We talk regularly. Oh, <laughs> yes. We're You're often confused. We're often confused with one another. Yes, lovely Margaret Manning in, in Switzerland. So it's Margaret Manning OBE. Will find me.
0: Fantastic, Margaret. It's been a real privilege. I've enjoyed talking to you and really after this long time, having known about you, really got deeper into your story. It's been a lot of fun, inspiring as well. And I I look at what you're doing and, you know, it challenges me and all of us to keep raising our game and keep sort of going out there and chasing down our dreams, if you like, you know, even if it means radical changes in our lives, going out to Barbados, wherever it takes us, just having faith that it's going to work out. Margaret Manning, everybody, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Graham. That was fantastic. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the XL Podcast with me, Graham Brown. To subscribe and discover more conversations, go to www.xlpodcast.org.